Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. Uh, just, again, as a reminder, last week we talked to Ron about his early uh, career directing movies like The Contender and uh, The Last Castle and, and, you know, what it's like to be a showrunner versus just kind of a director for hire working on shows. Really interesting stuff. If you, if you missed last week's episode, you got to go check it out. I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Rod is a fascinating guy, lots of careers, uh, and, and he, had, he had a lot of interesting thoughts about both his career and the, the, the state of movies in general. Um, I would... Uh, I, w- I, w- I really hope you guys go back and check it out. But if you don't, uh, that's fine, because this, this episode will stand up on its own, too. It's a, it's, we're talking about The Outpost and how that movie got made. So uh, thanks, for, thanks for tuning in, and back to the show. All right, uh, so let's talk about The Outpost. This is, this is uh, uh, why you listen to the Jake Tapper episode of this, this very own podcast. Yeah. And, uh, well, this is many, many of your podcasts. And, and, I, and I read your, your writing and I find, I find myself, you're one of the few people who I read even when I don't care about the film. Okay. Like, for example, the, uh, the article that, that you just wrote about the new Marvel movie. Yeah. I forgot the name of the movie already. Shang-Chi. Yeah, Shang-Chi I, I, and the Legend I of the Ten Rings. I give two fucks about that movie. But, yeah. um, it's entertaining reading reading what you write and the dude from IndieWire and Anthony Lane. They're really good, yeah. just really good writers. Thank you. That is very that is very high praise. Uh, Anthony Lane's Nobody's Perfect is on the shelf behind yeah, me somewhere. One of my favorite collections. It's a great anthology. Um, uh, so let's let's talk about the outpost. How how did you get involved with this project? And and I know there was some discussion about whether it should be a, a miniseries or a movie yeah. or what. How did that yeah. how did that shake out? Well, when when I was first approached, um, I get a call from this dude named Paul Merriman, and um, or he contacted my agent who contacted me, and Paul was the uh, at that point the head of development for Sam Raimi, and um, he had been his assistant. He had grown through the ranks and. And uh, they had developed this uh, screenplay with Paul Tamasey and Eric Johnson for Jake Tapper's book, The Outpost. Sam had wanted to direct it. And he asked to meet with me. And when he did meet with me, he said to me, you know what? I've just decided I'm not the person to direct this. I don't mm-hmm. think I can do a good job, which I thought was remarkably honest. And, and when you meet with Sam and talk to him and look at him, you know, that maybe doing this sort of true story, visceral war film may, may not be his 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 thing and he and he recognized that and i think you know i wasn't the hottest director in town i had um had this major uh stumble with uh, the remake of straw dogs so when people come to me it's usually for either a really overtly political film or they've been through a few other directors and mm-hmm. they had been to a couple of other directors i think and um but they had, but I, I made sense for that movie I think I'm the only active director in the DGA who was a graduate of West Point. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I know the military. I know it really well. And I have. And you really need someone who loves the military to make this film. And I I had read the screenplay, which was very dense screenplay, but a, a really great story and sort of a very famous story within the military world. And I was and I was quite interested, and uh, mm-hmm. when we began talking about it. At some point, Sam had had it at Universal, and you know, but that was Sam Raimi, of course. But I had to become uninvolved really quickly because I had to go do a pilot. A pilot TNT had agreed to shoot a pilot of mine, something I really loved. And um, when that pilot didn't get picked up, it was about a year later now, 
I get another call from Paul Merriman, who has now sort of cut ties with Sam Raimi, just or set out on his own, nothing bad. Mm-hmm. And um, as, I, I guess as part of a settlement, he was given the outpost. Do what you want yeah. with it, right? And he invites me to Arts Deli, very famous deli in Studio City, very close to my home. And I meet there with Paul and the two writers. And they said, okay, we don't want to do any, a movie anymore. We want to do a miniseries because the book is so vast. Something you were talking about with Jake is all that we couldn't cover in the film. You could maybe cover kind of in a miniseries. And I, and I told them that, in my opinion, it wouldn't work as a miniseries. And, okay. and my logic was, yes, there are many stories to tell, but there's going to be a kind of spiritual repetitiveness to it. You know, I, I don't know how many times we can show the outposts being attacked, show commanders being, being killed. Um, you could try to do your own sort of soap opera of the, of the week on the, um, on the outpost, but I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I, I told him it's a very difficult movie to make, but I think that it will be done best as a film if we can somehow conflate these stories together um, it may even have more impact because we can condense it and just be more intense. And then they told me, you know, everybody's passed on it, you know, except, by the way, they're just not making Afghanistan war films. It's, yeah. there are some, there are, there are quite a few actually, but traditionally movies about wars don't get made while those wars are going on. You have to wait till they're done. You're going to see a lot of Afghanistan war films coming out in the next few years, I think. But but then they said something really amazing, which is, well, you know, Millennium really wants to make it. And they'll put, you know, X amount of dollars into it. And I said, so why aren't we at fucking Millennium then? <laughs> I don't understand. And they go, well, you know, they make the Expendables and Rambo, and you know, they don't make this kind of movie. And I said, you know what? I'll bet you they do want to make this kind of film. There are always young people at these places and they want to, you know, they want to be the people that shepherd in the art films, the great films. They want to bring the Aronofsky's and the Tarantino's. Yeah. They want to discover those guys. Yeah. So let's go there and see, and see what they want to do. And so the next day, I think it was the next day, um, the four of us went to um, Millennium and we met with the entire brass there, and indeed, they were really jazzed about wanting to make the film. They've been wanting to make it for a while. And there were these two young guys, uh, Jeffrey Greenstein and uh, Jonathan Younger, known as Yoni, over there. And they said, yeah, we want to make uh, we want to make this. And I said, you know, it's not an action film. It's a war film. It's a different animal. And they said, yeah, of course. And then I told them how I would make it. And I made it almost as artistic as unappealing as possible to a genre house, right? I said, mm-hmm. I, I, said I, I want to shoot in wonders. I want to make the film, by that I mean un, uh, you know, unbroken shots for vast, for long, for entire scenes. Or yeah. for, and the battle is going to be very difficult, especially for a studio that's got coverage all over the place when they do an action scene. I'm saying no coverage. And they said, okay, that sounds like a great idea. Let's, let's do it. And then I said, and I want to use as many veterans as possible. I want to cast uh, veterans who are now actors 
in the movie. And they said, um, well, it can be expensive because it means we got to, but okay, we'll do it. And one by one, they started agreeing. Now, now you don't know whether or not you're being lip serviced, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I had to look these guys in the eye. And, and I tell you, this kid, um, Jonathan Younger, he's a kid, he's in his early 30s. I just looked at the earnestness in him and, and this desire to really try to bring some craft to, uh, to Millennium. And I believed him. And, um, and so we agreed pretty much in the room uh, to make the movie. And then we started talking about who we're going to cast in the film. And, you know, and of course, who we got, once again, now we're back to what we were talking about before, the raising of the money. Yeah. You know, Millennium doesn't have its own money. Millennium right. takes a cast and they, they then they take it overseas and they see how much they're going to raise. And, and that's going to be how much the movie's going to be made for. Yeah. yeah. I assume a big uh, portion of this was Orlando Bloom uh, coming on when you get, you know, Lord of the Rings yeah. and Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, star to, well, to sign Orlando on. was a third person cast, in fact. Um, uh, I think, um, or maybe it was semi simultaneous, but um, Orlando was very important. He was the final, he definitely was the final piece of the puzzle, and that was, was sort of the perfect guy to complete it for just enough money for us to make the movie, yeah. which was not a lot, by the way. This movie is low yeah. budget film. I don't care what numbers you read anywhere. This movie was made for very little money. Um, now, you know, they, it's helpful they shot in Bulgaria with, the, with that amazing um, crew and the low cost materials and the fact that mm -hmm. Millennium had their own cameras and so on. But um, yeah, um, but you know, Scott Eastwood and, and Caleb Landry Jones, who we just saw as a rising star. Yeah. Um, he had a relationship with my partner, Mark Friedman, a producer on the film, who uh, had made Stonewall with him. And and then and then there was Orlando, of course. Yeah. Well, I this is it's curious to me that uh, you 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 cast uh, Scott Eastwood and Caleb Landry Jones first, because uh, it, it, it would not strike me that those two would um, be names that you could, you know, sell overseas and sell foreign rights for necessarily. Yes. Well, no, they can a little bit, especially especially Scott. Uh, but you're right. I mean, we did need that. Remember, we talked earlier in the conversation about we need one more. You know, we need one more. Yeah. And and or and um, because some, you know, there, there is always a wish list, right, of ungettable actors that mm -hmm. the producers and the studio think are very gettable at first. Then they get a reality sandwich. So when we cannot get Tom Cruise to play, uh, you know, Tim Rochet, <laughs> then you know, right. then. You know what happened with this film? What happens to all my films is that you end up with the right actor. You settle on the right actor. Yeah. You know, it's like okay, we've we've gone to the big stars, the people that can bring in the money. Can we just settle on who's right for the role now? And and that's what we ended up doing. And you know, as a result, Scott gave easily the best performance of his life. Same thing, I think, with Caleb, and and maybe the same thing with Orlando uh, too. Yeah. Well, I you know, likely casting, by the way. I well, I remember I remember when I remember when I when I read that Scott Eastwood was in this movie and I was I was skeptical mm -hmm. because I I think I'd only seen, you know, I'd seen him in the Independence Day yeah. sequel. And I was like, I don't I don't know. I mean, he kind of look he kind of has looked, but he's he's perfect in this. Yeah. He really he really is. Can I, tell you, uh, I, I, I met with Scott 
um, a couple of times. And I, I just have faith in myself as a director, um, you know, to get great performances out of mm -hmm. um, and then solid, real, um, naturalistic performances out of professional actors. Um, and I and I and I met with uh, with Scott, and we had a really honest conversation about where our careers were and where we wanted it to go, and um, that we both needed a movie like this. And um, you know, he was skeptical skeptical about a couple of things in the screenplay that we worked on, and but basically we had a meeting of the minds. It was very respectful uh, and incredibly honest uh, honest conversation. And um, and I gotta say, I, he, he's an unbelievably hardworking guy, and I just knew that we were going to get this performance out of him. I just I knew it for to an absolute certainty. Caleb, in a way, was much riskier mm. because okay, so Caleb is in Get Out, and he's in Three Billboards and Florida Park, mm -hmm. and he's a great actor. But when I met Caleb, it was at Mel's drive-in. Now remember, he's going to play this very cut, in shape, motherfucking hard-ass Medal of Honor recipient, Ty Carter. Okay, mm -hmm. big gun guy. So I'm I'm waiting for him. He's a little late, five minutes late. He shows up. He looks like he's skinny, like olive oil. He's got hair down to his ass. And he's stoned. He's like totally stoned. He's, you know, <laughs> marijuana had been legalized, and I think he was celebrating, you know. And he's like, "Hey, man, how you doing?" And I'm going, "Oh my god, I just, I don't know, uh, this is gonna work." And then, you know, I'm talking to him, and through this his fog, he was incredibly fast talking, but very articulate. And then I learned something, which was that his brother. A double amputee as a result of being a Marine in the Iraq war had read the screenplay and I told him, you're going to play this role and you're not going to fuck it up. And I want to make sure you don't fuck it up. Now, when people have purpose, they tend to, they tend to deliver. And I knew that he could pull it off. Although when I sent him to meet the real Ty Carter, um, Ty calls me and says, this guy's going to the gym, right? And, <laughs> but you know that, that's exactly what happened is that he went to the gym yeah. and he got into fantastic shape and um in my in my opinion sonny um i defy anybody to give me in the history of movies period a better combat performance i don't mean performance in a war film i mean performance in mm -hmm. the action of combat nobody's better than than caleb he got trained yeah. he was trained by his brother but he was also trained by jericho demon and ray mendoza these two just unbelievable uh, military advisors. Um, he was trained by the real Ty Carter, who was on set, and um, yeah, you know, he completely pulled it off. Yeah, well, uh, can you can you talk about the training a little bit? I mean, I I assume that this is mm -hmm. uh, this is a very important you know aspect of the movie for you as mm -hmm. a as a member of the armed services yeah. and as 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 the director of this movie about the you know a a striking and heroic right. mm -hmm. and you know kind of tragic battle yep. um uh what was what was the actual training process well, with the actors like to get them in in fighting trim? Well, scott, scott um had broke his ankle and so we couldn't really start him until the very first day of shooting doing anything um but he had been trained he had done a you know he had done a couple of 
uh, war films. And so I'd been through that sort of basic training. The rest of the guys, and so at Orlando, like in Black Hawk Down and so on, mm-hmm. the rest of the guys, a lot of them were like with these British actors who been to the Royal Academy, and we had one of our actors, you know, um, Scott uh, Coffee, uh, Alda Coffee, had been to Carnegie Mellon, and they're, you know, the, the, the sensitive actors, and I'm throwing them in there with these, you know, Jericho and Ray with these hard asses, and, and you know, they put them through hell. I mean, like, it was... And, and when I tell you that at lunchtime, the dudes, would, and they, a lot of them were like just these British guys. I told you, they went to the Royal Academy. They're like, they're in tears. Like, you know, and I, I remember uh, one, one person actually was uh, trying not to cry. And there was just one tear rolling down his eye. He felt like he was failing. He felt like he was being humiliated in front of everybody. And I, and I remember saying to him, you know, you can go home if you want. And you'll go home and you won't feel so great. You'll feel ashamed. When you go home after this is all done, you nothing you'll be prouder of in your life. But the way that you're feeling right now, that's exactly how your character felt at some point in his career. Remember this. Don't forget it. Lock it up. Use it. Don't fucking forget it. And I won't say who that is because it's sort of a... Maybe maybe embarrassing, although it shouldn't be, um, but maybe it is. And um, and he gave a wonderful performance. Everyone gave a wonderful performance. And I think it's uh, a lot of that has to do with the training that they went through. And uh, yeah. we did it for I, I think eight days. And um, you know they you know they're they're not soldiers. Although I got to say that the, that Caleb, my favorite pothead, was like by far the you know took it the most seriously and, and really had it down when it, when it was, when it was all done. Yeah. He's great. I, I, everything he is in, I am, uh, in, right? always, yeah. he's always a standout. Yeah. Um, talk about shooting in Bulgaria a little bit mm-hmm. because it's, you know, it was this your first, uh, overseas Eastern European yeah, standing it, in for, for another location shooter. It was, we had gone, we had scouted in Morocco but ultimately, um, the bureaucracy of getting weapons in, the bureau in, in Morocco was so difficult that we just decided not to do it. And I remember Avi Lerner, who runs Millennium, coming. We were on the set of Angel Has Angel Has Fallen, I think it was. Okay. The last yeah. of those films, and I was up there in the mountains with Nick Nolte, and uh, Avi comes to me and says, "We are shooting this movie in Bulgaria, and that's it." And I said, you know, I was like taken aback and, and there's no locations, there's no nothing. But he said, we're going to do it. And he was right. We found a location. We found a quarry. Um, but the the access to that crew up there, which is the best crew I've ever worked with, just the most unbelievable filmmakers up there. This truly is their life there. You know, they mm-hmm. live it. They breathe it. It's 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 everything that it's everything that they live for over there and it's so inexpensive and um they were so efficient and you know i was able to end my days early on this movie mostly because i was shooting these oneers and we were so well prepared for them but mm-hmm. we were we were well prepared for them and we got them in two or three takes because the crew was was so efficient it was a total yeah. joy i would work with those guys and i have worked in bulgaria again very you know I would love to work in Bulgaria. Yeah. 
uh, is there any, uh, this is, uh, I, I, I don't, I, I actually don't know what the answer to this question is. And I, it's always a mistake to answer, ask a question that you have no idea what the answer no, that, is no, going to no, be. That, that's, but, not for journalists. <laughs> that's for lawyers. Yeah. That's, uh, but the, but uh, there's, there's a great shot in the, uh, in the in the very early going, as the guys are kind of looking out in in from the middle of the camp mm-hmm. uh, in daylight the first time, and you're they're just going around, mm-hmm. and the camera kind of cranes up. Was that all in camera, or was that was that was there any green oh, screen no, there? Was, what, uh, how was that? That was CGI. I mean, you look okay. All okay. the mountains, the north side was a real mountain, uh, but the east, west, and south side were primarily CGI mountains. Okay. By, and that was a very difficult thing to do to get real looking mountains. Like I said, we were in a quarry, so we had to, we, you know, we had to create those those mountains. If we had shot in Morocco, we would have had real mountains, but we wouldn't have had the extras that we needed. You know, the yeah. American uh, fighters, right? Which we were able to sort of get with the Brits and Bulgarians and and so on. But yeah, but they know that scene was CGI. There's not a lot of CGI okay. in the film, but the mountains are. Okay, I, I just asked because it's it's the sort of thing I remember when I when I when I watched it at you know at home on my TV. I was like, I wish I could, I wish I could see this in a theater. I wish I could see because I feel like that that is a vertigo inducing right. shot. To yes, to kind and, of... and I have seen it in theater, obviously, and and I so wish that the rest of the America and the world could see this in theaters. Unfortunately, we were you know pandemic killed us killed yeah. our premiere at south by southwest it really couldn't bum me out more because this movie in the theater is really something else man i mean the battle scene in a the theater with you know yeah. with the mountains and with the uh, and with the sound work is just fantastic in this film and um yeah it's 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 a shame but you you know you've hit a sore point with me uh, by bringing it up so <laughs> Well, ta- can can we talk a little bit about the the pandemic and the effect that had on the release? Because it is it is again it like snake bit like like you know releasing the last castle yep. after nine eleven. Right. I mean, it, like it's just one of these unavoidable yeah. things. Uh, what 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 was that all like? Well, they shut down the um, South by Southwest festival, um, you know, early on in the uh, in, in the pandemic, and I remember doing I was doing an interview with uh, the rap with Steve Pond. And uh, it was right before South by Southwest hadn't been canceled. And I said to him, you know, we're doing this interview right now, but I want to go on record that uh, when he published the article, the South by Southwest Festival will be canceled and and uh, we are not going to get our uh, big screen, uh, you know, first premiere. And we can just hope that by July, the pandemic will be over and we'll be able to be in, in theaters. Um, yeah. And it, it was a real bummer. We also, there was something else that really broke my heart, dude, and that was that we're going to premiere it at West Point, or we're talking about it with them. And that also got shut shut down by the, by the pandemic. And, yeah. um, you know, there was this notion that we were going to do this, um, um, this the special, uh, special screening of the movie where the actors would come and uh, screen is all over the country, and that got shot, shot down. And so we really got hurt. However... I, I will say this, that screen media picks up the movie. They're superb at the VOD. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, that to me is a real defeat that this movie goes on VOD. They had never been in the top 10 uh, screen media with any of their movies that they had released on, on VOD. And it's sort of, I think it's July 2nd, 
um, very profound day in my life. And um, it was the, the, the anniversary of the son of the, the death of my son. And um, and we we released the film at, the, at that time. And the reviews start coming in. And, and I think we expected to have pretty good reviews, but these reviews were like unbelievable. I think that are 93% or 92, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes is mm-hmm. the highest rating for a war film for the century, uh, a narrative war, war yeah. film. And, and then the veterans started to see the film and the word spread. And we went to number one on iTunes and all the other platforms and we stayed there for weeks. And yeah. we raised the stock price of, um, <laughs> of the screen media of uh, chicken, chicken Soup for the Soul. And... Um, I don't know if we would have had the success in in theaters. What I know is that millions of people saw the film and hundreds of thousands of veterans and their family. You know know what happened, actually, Sonny, I think, is that this movie was a little bit like Platoon in its release uh, among veterans in that a veteran would say to their family, you need to see this film. I don't want to talk about what I went through, but this film will show you. And it's mm-hmm. their families and their friends. And um, and I think that it just it just became, you know, a real, a, my, probably my biggest hit, a bona fide uh, hit. And yeah. um, so, you know, I, I don't know what would have happened if we'd been released in, in theaters. Um, I'd like to think we would have done well, but I'm sort of happy with the results. Almost everyone in the military knows this film. And that's good. Enough. That's mm-hmm. good enough for me. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I, did you, did you, uh, were you able to do, uh, screenings with the, uh, with the, the service members and their families? Uh, did that ever, was that was uh, people it, who saw this, uh, people who, were, yeah, uh, people who served in the, in, at, at cop. Yeah. Oh, and, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. We, we absolutely did. Millennium was kind enough to invite, um, all members of the fallen, um, their families, of course, and some of the living um, survivors of the battle, including Ty Carter, to Washington, D.C. at the Navy Memorial. I don't know why we did it. The Navy Memorial, some Army film. and Oh, my God. When I heard that, well, anyway, I won't get into it. But, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a West Point guy. They have a nice theater there. I've been there. It's I've been a, to that theater. It's, it's, it's nice. It's, it's absolutely beautiful <laughs> theater. General Allen was there to introduce the film. And... What was amusing was watching Jake Taffer because Jake, who we become good friends, and he's a fantastic guy. And my God, The Outpost is one of the best um, nonfiction books about war ever written, I think. But Jake and Jake is a tough, it's a tough son of a bitch, man. You know, he when he's interviewing generals and he's interviewing Biden and he's interviewing when he used to interview Trump, he he's tough. Nothing can rattle this guy. But he was up there shaking like a leaf as he's introducing the film. Because what would happen if after the movie, the families would come up to us and say, that wasn't the way it was. Um, I don't like how you depicted my son, my husband, my brother. Um, We were both like unnerved uh, by, by that notion. And Jake went to every single family member afterwards to get their honest opinion and to a person. It was a very emotional night, man. 
for us yeah. because we hadn't failed them. And for them, you know why, you know, they say, Sonny, that um, you die twice. Once when you leave this earth and the second time when the last person ever speaks your name. And what we gave these families is the notion that forevermore somebody will be speaking the name of their loved ones. And that's fucking important. Yeah. It's important. I told you that uh, my son died while I was in prep on this film. It was mm. the single worst experience of my life. But I got to dedicate this film to him. Thank goodness it, it is an acclaimed film because I want his name on an acclaimed film. And his name will yeah. now be seen and spoken forevermore. And um, that was really important to us. So, yeah, we most certainly did show it uh, to them. Very important to do. Yeah. And in fact, if I may just add to that, Sonny, the families were very involved with this movie from the very beginning. From the very beginning. You know, yeah. we couldn't have made this movie without the support of everybody. I don't know what we would have done if even one family member had said, I don't want you to do this. Or mm. where the family was united in saying, we don't want you to do this. There may have been yeah. some people within families that were didn't want it to happen, but Basically, we had every single family gave us some support on this one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like I, like I said, I, uh, my, my dad was Air Force. We kind of moved around a lot, uh, and seeing this sort of seeing this sort of movie uh, is, I, I, it's important to I think military families to see this yes, sort of thing. I I'm in to get to, to get a to get a good sense of. It. I don't want to. I. That's. That's. I'm, I'm getting close to being sappy here. I'm gonna stop. Um. I. Uh. I. I want to. I want to. I want. I want to ask if there's anything else you want to say about the outpost because I. I like. It's. It's a really. It's a really great. Uh. It is a really great war movie and everyone should see it. It's on Netflix now. If you. Yes. If you haven't. Uh. If you haven't. If you haven't uh, gotten a chance to see it yet, so you should check it out. But uh. What. What should. What should folks know about either the making of it or. Uh, the reception tour, the release. What do you? What do you? You you ask us of every guest, right? And and, I and try. sometimes I try. they stumble around like I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> like I think you, I think you hit every. I think that you hit every note. There is a great deal to to say about this film. Here is one thing I will say right now. Is that if you watch this film, you can say that what's happening in Afghanistan now could have been predicted. And you see elements of it in in our movie. One one of the one of the like I said, one of the things that we get constantly, and I mean constantly, every single day, even to today, we'll get notes, emails, tweets, you know, messages on YouTube boards about how authentic and accurate the film depicts life in Afghanistan, and how well we depicted the Afghan army, and how well. You know, we show what the commitment that these guys had there were, you know. Mm -hmm. And when you look at this film and you see, okay, you had these 54 dudes and they're at the bottom of this mountain and you you don't know what they're doing there, really. I mean, ostensibly, they're there to help, you know, make friends with the villagers so the Taliban don't make friends with them or they're going to protect the supply road from Pakistan into into Afghanistan. But basically, as, the, as, as our poster said, their mission was survival. But that shouldn't be the mission of, of, of an army. Yeah. 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, Avi Lerner watches the film. And, and Avi Lerner is a filmmaker. This dude makes films and he loves it. I mean, he revels in it. It's sort of a joy. It's a joy to watch. You know, he's quite a character. And the main characteristic is filmmaker. The guy couldn't be anything else. And yeah. uh, but but the films he makes are mostly entertainment, right? They're, it's Rambo, it's The Expendables, it's Has sure. Fallen, and so on. And I, I I remember I showed him the movie. I showed all the millennium the movie. Maybe I'll get in trouble for saying this, but ah, what the fuck? He looks at it, and everybody they're they're pretty much in tears at the end of the movie. They love the movie. They like the movie. They think it's a really good film. And Avi says to me in his thick accent, and he calls me uh, Mr. Luria, which is my Hebrew name, right? He wants to dig it in, which is, which is fine. I'm proud of it. And he says, this is an amazing movie. It so it moved me so much. I was in tears. But you know, if uh, I, I trusted the boys, I, I would never have greenlit this film. I mean, this is, <laughs> and I said, what? He goes, there's no mission for this unit. They have no mission. You know, he makes yeah. movies about people that have missions, right? And like, yeah. and that makes perfect sense. This was a movie, you know, and I think everybody was sort of dreading our first research screening because it's a movie without a mission. It's like this half yeah. of the film is a setup. It's a setup for what the battle will be. And um, I'm happy to say that we did extremely well in our research screening and everyone's confidence rose, you know, rose after that. It yeah. was, um, yeah, quite an experience making this film, I must say. Well, this is why I say again, and I, I, I feel like I feel like both you and Jake maybe feel feel like this is a kind of a backhanded compliment. But when I say it's the defining film of the mm-hmm. Afghanistan war, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's 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 a movie. It's a movie about people who are in an untenable position. Right. And are just kind of trying to stick it out. Yeah, you're hundred percent right. That's the whole war. Mm-hmm. That's the whole war in a nutshell. I, I will take that as a huge compliment. And, and not only that, I will I will agree with you and tell you that's exactly what we were exactly what we were aiming for. And um, like I said, and I think you combine that with uh, the performances, especially Caleb and Scott in Orlando, and um, I think got yourself. You know, I, I don't want to say that the movie is a piece of entertainment, um, but I will say that it's. I believe it's very moving, and it will never bore you. Even even the first half of the film, which, like I said, is setting up, you know, what this place is and who the and who these and who these dudes are. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. That's a that is one hundred percent true. Uh, so I, let me, I, we're, we're running very long here, so I don't want to, I, I, I'm sure you have, I'm sure you have meetings and phone calls and stuff to, to get to. Um, but I, are you, are you, what are, what are you prepping right now? What is the, what's the project you're, you're working well, you on? Know, we, ha- we haven't announced the film formally yet. I think that's going to happen. Okay. I think that's coming up, uh, in, in, in a few days, but I am right now, um, I'm in Dallas. I actually, I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, Dallas, as I've learned, is a totally different animal um and and i'm i'm gonna make a football film here um okay. a film about american football college college football and um I'm, I'm prepping that and you know very eager to get the word out about it i think it's going to be it's a true story it's a you know it's a very special story but i'm also sort of prepping because i have to finish a screenplay 
um, my film after this, which is going to be a film uh, set at West Point. So, well, I was gonna I was gonna ask if the West Point project is. I know that it's you've you've mentioned yeah. it. Uh, is that is that on the that's on the 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 docket? Yeah, yeah. Next? It's um we we KJ Appa is going to be the lead. Um, and he uh, you know he's the star of that show Riverdale, and um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, he'll be playing a, a West Point cadet, and it's a boxing epic set at set at West Point. I, you know, okay. boxing very important to the military academy, and um, yeah, you know, something that I did when I was there, like everybody else. And um, so I'm, I'm really it, it, that is the dream of my life. When I, ever since I was a cadet, I said, "Where am I going to put the camera?" Every time, every time, <laughs> everywhere I went, I cannot wait to come back here. You know, I, I I never served in combat, Sonny. Um, I, mm-hmm. I just the era that I got in in, in the mid '80s um, to you know around 1990 or so, a little before then, um, we just weren't in combat situations. No, and um, and it's not the coolest thing in the world when I go to reunions and I see my classmates who have been in combat and have had bullets go over their head have put their, as they say in Patton, put their hand in a bunch of goo that was once their best friend's face. You know, I, it's not it's not the best feeling in the world. So if I can't, if I couldn't be on the field of battle with them, the least I could do is honor them and I intend to do that. And I did that with the outpost and I'm going to continue to do that throughout my career. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for being on the yes, show, Rod. Man. I thought this is a great episode. I hope everybody enjoys uh, enjoys this because it's this is this is what the show should be for as far as I'm concerned. Um, I am Sonny Bunch. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the show. Uh, we will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. See you guys then. Mm-hmm.